Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and here we are. Welcome back to another week of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. Now, many of you will remember my guest as a little kid in Full House or The Little Rascals. His resume includes shows like Home Improvement, The Nanny, The Drew Carey Show, Clueless, and voiceovers for productions such as Tarzan, The Little Mermaid 2, Anastasia, Recess, and even Hey Arnold. Blake McIver Ewing is now very much full grown and refusing to be boxed in by his childhood image with the release of his new album uh, that I'm looking forward to talking about. Blake is here with us today to share his journey with us, and I am so glad to have him on the show today. Blake, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you, Lana. It's great to be here. Uh, thank you. Thank you for making time uh, for me today. I, I always appreciate anybody's time that they give me because this is a moment that you can't get back. So that's your gift <laughs> to me. <laughs> your gift to me today. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, Blake, um, let's start out at the very, very beginning here. How old yeah. were you when you started in the entertainment business? Um, I was six years old when I started. Uh, the very first thing I did was uh, I competed on the Ed McMahon Star Search um, and <laughs> ended up winning a 92 Junior Vocal Champion, and that's what got me into entertainment. Okay, so six years old. That's kind of young there. How did, how did this go? Did you walk into the living room one day and say, you know what, Mom, I want to be you know, an actor? Or you know, were you always interested in the entertainment industry? I was. I was desperate to be on TV, and funny enough, both of my parents were in entertainment, and knowing the pitfalls of the business, they really didn't want me to have any part of it, but I kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and <laughs> my mom put me in dance class. She was like, well, I, we'll start there, Okay. because <laughs> um, she, she had been a dancer, and um, so I was performing at a dance recital, and um, one of the judges at the recital was the director of Star Search, and he came up to my mom afterwards and said, would your son audition for us for the next season? And so that's how that, <laughs> it started very, very, um, you know, casually, and then just took off from there. And then after the show, um, the producers of Full House uh, had seen me on uh, competing on Star Search, and they wrote that very first uh, episode that I was on, the Yankee Doodle uh, <laughs> talent show episode and they wrote that uh, with me in mind and then what was meant to be an episodic role uh, turned into three seasons wow wow and refresh some of the uh generation that might not be familiar with full house your role in full house you were the guy that uh, the little kid that what what was your role there oh i was the neighbor slash best friend to uh michelle mary kate nashley's character Okay, they've also grown up into some very beautiful individuals as well. Um, so how does a young child, you know, you're, you're five, you're six years old, you're out here on TV and everything. How do you, you balance the whole childhood thing and, and going to work every day as a kid? Um, was it, was it a struggle for you to remember or was it an easy transition for you? No, it was very difficult. Um, but one of the things that my, uh, my parents were really, uh, set on was me staying in normal school and not just doing like a homeschool or tutor program. Mm -hmm. So that was the, that was the hardest thing for me was going from a very professional adult life, uh, about two weeks out of the month. And then the other two weeks, I'm just a normal kid in regular school with a normal kid schedule. That's what was impossible because it was just like, it was really like, I felt like a, 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 a spy. I was leading a double life. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, so two weeks you're, you're working with the adults 
you're, you're not going to school at all. And then in the last two weeks of the month or the first two weeks, you have to play catch up and you're in day to day bell ringing and everything in school. Is that exactly. how that works? Wow. That is so that, that was, is that was tough. <laughs> yeah, that has to be emotionally a, a difficult thing to deal with. So I'm wondering, though, you know, since you started so young and, and elementary kids tend to be, you know, very impressionable and amazed with everything. You must have been like the cool kid to have in class. Like, you know, I've got this guy I see on TV every day in my class with me. Were you um, received well amongst your your kids in it your was- class? It was actually just the opposite. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, kids did not think that was cool. They did not think that that was <laughs> fun or interesting in any way. It just sort of made me a target. <laughs> oh, wow. So what what happened then? Well, it was it was interesting. It was something that I dealt with kind of throughout school. It started in elementary school and and all the pretty much went all the way through junior high and high school. But um, I had to develop a very thick skin. Uh, people thought that I could. Uh, take it as much as I dished it out in the characters I played on TV. Um, oh. And that was so far from my real personality. I think people thought that they could just, you know, pick at me um, and that I would be able to take it. And it was like, oh, I had to really I had to really develop. Oh, <laughs> I see. I see. Self at an early age, because uh, it was it was an intense. It was an intense time. <laughs> oh, wow. I see. I see. Because sometimes kids don't, uh, they don't have the capability to separate uh, what they see on TV from the guy that they're interacting in math class with. So, yeah, I, exactly. I can understand and, that. And back then, bullying wasn't really like a buzzword like it is now. Mm-hmm. We weren't really talking about it, and there wasn't really a support system for that. And so, I, you know, I didn't really realize until after the fact how intense the, the that I could really identify with. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I was, I was legitimately bullied for for many years wow do you is it possible could you share what the kids were doing to you or is that yeah no absolutely there's actually one track on my album that's about uh one of the very first situations that i was confronted with uh on that subject and um it happened in elementary school and on a recess one day and i was uh singing and swinging on the swing set and um some bullies came over and stopped me and uh, said, shut up, stop singing. And they took me by, by the back of the head, smashed my head into the metal uh, like railing on the side mm. of the set. And it was the first time I had ever been confronted with like, oh, something that I was just doing, just mm-hmm. singing, enjoying my time, just being a kid, that was somehow offensive to someone else. And I was somehow different or made them feel uncomfortable and that and they felt the need to attack me um so i wrote this song uh called screaming at the opera and it's basically my uh adult and a little bit anarchistic response to anyone who tries to beat you down and and how you have to stand up for yourself and and say no i'm i'm gonna you're gonna hear me and you're not gonna get my silence good stuff good message there now the question that everybody always asks when a child is going through these types of situations, um, were there any adults, teachers, or anything that gave you any kind of support as you were trying to transition through this time? Absolutely. Um, but it, it was a tricky – the tricky thing is I, I grew up in a private Christian school. And okay. So whenever the bullying went to uh, – and this, this is more – this speaks more to junior high and high school, but whenever the bullying transitioned into like – the assumption of sexuality, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because the, the teachers and the, um, the administrator staff of the Christian school sort of turned a blind eye to that. Okay. Um, 
that was like outside their jurisdiction. So that was it was really interesting and it was sad that that that's um, still sort of going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you bring up the fact that you were kind of going to uh, Christian based schools at this particular time. And mm-hmm. I guess this is this is a good time to bring up the, the point that um, I think I read you were at the age of 14 when you decided to uh, come out to friends and family that you were gay. Is that how that happened? Um, it was more like 19. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay. At 14, I was still very much in hiding. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it, that was a, tr- that was a tricky thing, um, at that time, uh, at the, at the, the young teenager time. Um, yeah, you, it's not, it's not an environment for, uh, accepting differences when you're at a Baptist <laughs> junior yeah, high school. Yeah, yeah, no, not a good <laughs> environment for that. So I'm assuming, since you said you did not come out to everybody till you were 19, you were kind of probably living some sort of charade 14, 15, 16 in high school and stuff. And that's when you see a lot of, um, people trying to get their feet wet with the dating experience and stuff like that. Was that rough for you? I mean, cause kids are thinking about prom and all of this stuff and, you know, Blake is trying to really kind of get itself together um you know with who was that a difficult transition for you it was and what i found interesting about that time is that i just threw myself more into into my studies and more into my work um Mm -hmm. and so i sort of i missed a little bit of that um you know just normal emotional development through those years um and also it was sort of a natural for me to escape to work because I had been living in an adult world since a very young age. Mm -hmm. So I just threw myself into, uh, you know, anything but having to deal with, (laughs) really (laughs) deal with myself. So I kind of had to, after college, I kind of had to step back and go, oh, okay, I'm, I, I might have been living as a 40 year old working adult for, you know, 15 years, but now I need to like have my adolescence. (laughs) Okay, so we have to regroup, recycle back, and play a little bit like a like a teenager does. Okay, that's understandable. And you know, it's interesting because I think that just pretty much any child actor has that moment where they ha- where they realize that you sort of wake up one day and you go, "Oh my gosh, I- I've been an adult for so long. Now how do I how do I relearn how to be a teenager? How do I how do I learn how to be an adolescent?" Yeah, you know, I mean, everybody has read the the dynamics, the frustrations, the setbacks of the child actors, and it's a very, very interesting world that you guys all live in. Um, I'm I'm curious now that you you're at the age now and you can look back on it. What would you, if you have any advice to parents who are considering putting their children into this entertainment industry? Would you say anything to them? Would you have any tips? Well, the thing that I would say is that the the kid has to want it. If mm-hmm. the parent wants it <laughs> and the kid doesn't, that's never going to end well. I mean, I wanted it from such a young age, and I still there was still emotional backlash, and there was still a high cost mm-hmm. um, for, for for doing it and for for the success that I had as a kid. Um, so uh, you know, I can't imagine how painful it would be if I didn't even want it in the first place. Gotcha. Um, and I think that's the other thing you ha- you have to know there is there is a cost. Um, mm-hmm. it, it has to be worth it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there is, there is a cost. And like I said, too many times, time and time again, um, we do hear about the cost that child actors have to uh, go through with being in the entertainment industry. Like you said, being in an adult world for, um, at such an early age. Now, you started off at six. How long were you acting for? Uh, when do you recall your, your last little voiceover or TV appearance? I worked right up through high school, so about seventeen, eighteen was when I when I took a break. 
um, knowing that I had to figure out what college was ahead of me and <laughs> that it wasn't okay. going to work out to like juggle everything. Um, okay. Yeah. So it pretty much all the way up through 18. Okay. So it was a conscious decision on your part at 17 to say, you know, I'm going to stop this and I'm going to, to focus on my schooling or did the, the roles just stop coming in? Well, it was a combination of both. Um, it, it's that, it's that weird thing of, uh, you're, you're suddenly at, at 17, 18, you're suddenly too old to play, you know, a mm-hmm. teenager, but you're too young to play a 20 something. It, it, it's a weird sort of, um, in between age. And then all the people on TV that are playing high schoolers are all in their mid to late 20s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think so, people really understand that when they're watching that. They assume that these these people are, you know, 16 and they're actually 20-something, 30-something. You know, they're you know young-looking people. Exactly. And so, you, yes, yeah, so you have those awkward conversations with your agent. Like, but I'm 18. No, yeah, well, you, you might be able to get these roles <laughs> when you're 27. Oh, okay, that makes zero sense. All right. <laughs> so it was a combination of that and knowing that getting my degree was super important to me. So I tried to juggle it for the first um, the first uh, quarter of my college experience, and then I finally had to say, nope, <laughs> this is not okay. going to work. I gotta, I, so it's going to be one or the other. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And, um, you know, you went to... You know, me and you are fellow Bruins. You went to UCLA, and um, yes. surprisingly, UCLA is the home of a lot of childhood actors uh, there. So, um, did you? You said you did your first quarter there. You you did some acting role. You were you going out um, looking for um, your agent was sending you out on things. Did you act at all while you were at UCLA? Funny enough, I didn't. Even though I was in the theater department, um, I was I was on the production and direction side. Okay. Um, so I really, I, I didn't ever perform on stage at UCLA <laughs> once in my four years there. <laughs> Amazing. And he's in the theater department. Too funny. All righty. Well, Blake, it is time for us to take our first break of the day. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed, and today I am with Blake McIvory Ewing, and you are hearing uh, one of the tracks from his uh, upcoming record, uh, Time Manipulator. That track is It Gets Better. Is that correct, Blake? That's correct, yes. Alrighty, alrighty, sounding good. And what was the uh, motivation for that re- that track right there? Uh, well, that track, uh, I wrote that song a few years ago um when uh, the Trevor Project first launched it, it, the It Gets Better campaign, and um, it was after a series of uh, suicides uh, that were in the news uh, about young uh, LGBT uh, teenagers and uh, even younger uh, youth, um, and I was so uh, horrified by the statistics on uh, those suicides, and uh, I, I wanted to lend my voice in some way to the campaign because it was so close to my heart. So I sat down and wrote this song um, and made a little video, uh, put it up on YouTube. It really sort of nothing really happened to it. It didn't really get much traction. And then uh, a few years later, um, when all of this album press started happening and uh, I got back on TV, like everything just sort of exploded again and people discovered the song and 
Unfortunately, it's still um, a irrelevant message. I was hoping that it would be passe by the time the album came out, but so it it is definitely on the on the record, um, and it's a it's a message and a song that's very close to my heart. Yeah, it's amazing in 2014 that we have not um, intellectually grown as a people in some areas. Uh, but you know, you bring up a matter. Um, that's very personal to you with these bully, the bullying issue and stuff like that. And you have a quote out there and it's, it says that at age 14, you were very close to becoming a gay suicide statistic. Uh, what, what was going on for you at that time? Well, I was, you know, I, I was so, uh, just isolated in my, uh, in my school situation and, um, the, I was not, you know, I was not getting the work that I that I had had gotten as a kid. Um, I just I felt I felt really alone, and I felt completely uh, ostracized from my peer group, and just depressed and sad, and uh, felt like there was no hope. Um, which you hear that story over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there was there were many a time in my uh, young teen life where I just thought this is not worth it. This is really mm-hmm. this is just not worth it. Um, okay. But luckily, the life force was stronger and always won out. And um, so that's why it's so important for me to continue telling that story, because um, if I can just touch one person who's feeling that way, if, if the song can just touch one heart, uh, then I've done my job. Yeah, and that it does get better. And, you know, I think, you know, like, you know, your story points out, you know, you're 14. You're kind of trying to balance it all, trying to come to terms with it, you know, within yourself. And, you know, it is an emotional struggle and a battle. And then sometimes you have people that are, you know, not making life you know, any much easier. You know, you, you encounter the bullies and everything. Um, and it's amazing, you know, that now, like I said, we're here at 2014 and there still seems to be some sort of like hubbub and buzz, you know, to the fact that, you know, you are a gay entertainer. Um, right. What I mean. But you were received pretty well as far as others were are concerned when you did come out. Is that correct? It is, actually, which is still <laughs> bizarre to me because I feel like I fought so hard for so many years in silence. And then <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally come out and it's like no big deal. But that's great. That, that actually shows as a media culture and as an entertainment culture, that shows how far we have truly come. Um, okay. And that's and that's fantastic. Like that. That's the huge that's the huge victory bonus um, if we can just take that same kind of acceptance and tolerance and love and and take it into you know throughout the country that would be that would be the ideal <laughs> yeah you know i just think that's so funny you know sometimes uh you know we wrestle so much emo- emotionally with things you know should i should i should i and then we make it bigger than what it is and then by the time we release that energy out there everybody else is like that's no big deal what were you concerned about you know so right. you know it's a wonderful thing that you did get that that experience but you know we do have to deal with the reality that sometimes people are not um as embracing to differences, diversity or anything like that. So once again, you know, the message that you are giving to individuals about it gets better is very, very important. And, you know, I do hope that, you know, people can take, you know, that to heart from the message that you're giving. So good stuff there. Thank um, you. I, I want to talk about Time Manipulator. Um, yeah. Very interesting title. Where does that come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it draws a couple of inspirations. Um, one of my one of my favorite uh, film series of all time is Back to the Future. So there's a there's a subtle nod to um, 
to time travel and to Back to the Future in the album. Um, but it also represents, uh, I'm very inspired by different genres of music and different time periods of music. And so even though this album is a pop record, um, and that is sort of the through line, uh, of the, of the genre of the album, there are subtle nods to classic rock, um, to gospel, to bossa nova, um, even some electro dance stuff. It's, hmm. There's, there's diversity within the pop <laughs> title. Um, okay. So that's, that's sort of it's my it's my time travel journey through pop music. Okay, and you you mentioned that it is uh, a variety of different genres of music. Um, you know, how is it that you acquired such a diverse taste in music? Was it always something present in the home, or I mean, you know, it's very rare that you see somebody who's just you know well well rounded like that. Well, it, my my musical inspirations are, are all over the place because, uh, and part of it is was my family. My, my mom uh, was in variety TV shows in the late '60s and '70s, um, and so she she was one of Dean Martin's backup dancers and singers uh, for okay. five six years. So I grew up with the Rat Pack. <laughs> okay, and, okay, and all of that. Then I discovered. Um, as a young kid, I discovered a lot of theater music through doing dance and dance recitals and all of that, um, and then ended up doing a lot of that type of musical theater songbook on um, on Star Search and everything. Um, then when I was eight, I was in a gospel recording group that was formed right after the L.A. riots um, mm-hmm. with Lou Adler and Ode Records, and we went uh, around on tour, and I was like one of two white kids in the group. And so <laughs> I that's where say, I gotcha. learned... That's where I learned real gospel and real church music, um, and that changed my entire uh, life and changed my entire musical trajectory. Um, and so that's in, then, you know, just sort of, I'm, I've always been a scholar of music, so I can't, I can't get enough of different, of different genres and different styles. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was going through the different tracks, you know, and I, I saw like, okay, gospel, I said, okay, you know, he's, uh, He's really, really a well range of of stuff out there. That's that's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, kinda thank cute. you. <laughs> kinda My cute. hope kinda. is that there's something for everybody on the. On the- yeah, I definitely believe so. Because, like I said, you know, when you start to just read and see the different tracks and you know where they're coming from and even the different messages and the different titles, there's something that speaks to you know every individual. Uh, there, so I think it's a, it's a it's an album for everybody. And so you know, I'm dating myself because I said album. You know, I don't think that you, young folks even say that anymore, do they? <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> it's funny because I and I even say like I, I I've been called out for for saying record. I still call everything a record. <laughs> and like, part of it is because I still love to listen to things on vinyl, and I mm-hmm. still have a big vinyl collection. So, uh. <laughs> so it's all records to me. But yeah, no, it is no we no it's definitely an album. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So, you know, life has kind of come full circle. You started off with the star search, with the singing, and now you did the acting, and now you're back into uh, singing and music again. Um, did you feel kind of displaced or out of joint when you were doing the acting thing? Is it is it music was always something that was calling you back? I mean, music has always been like the tug at my heart that I, I knew I needed to get to, and but I've... I've really have enjoyed all of the acting stuff and all, all of that. It's, it's also a passion of mine. It's just my most burning passion is music. So when I finally sat down at the piano and started writing, um, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I was supposed to be doing all along. 
Okay, okay, okay. So if if the producer calls and says, you know, Blake, we need you to, you know, act on this particular TV show, you're going to say no, or is it something that you're no, open to? No, it's definitely yes. I no, I'm I I could never walk away from it entirely. I will always have I will always have a hand in the acting. I just had to I had to take some time to reconnect with the writing passion and the music passion. But now that now that that is reincorporated into my life, I feel like oh yeah, no, now now I can. Now I can return to, to TV if, if, if they'll have me. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And just out of curiosity, is there a track on Time Manipulator that is more important or meaningful to you than the others? Well, they're all, you know, they all tell a different story of a different part of my life. Um, but the story that I shared earlier about the, the track Screaming at the Opera, that's, it, that has become my favorite song on the album because uh, it, sort of it sort of hits people in an unexpected way. And the song is very like dance, club, kind of a club sound, just like electro pop kind of thing. Um, but I love that the message is so intense and so deep, it juxtaposed to that sort of just thumping club beat. Um, so that's it's my current favorite. I don't know. It, 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 it varies. It depends on what day of the week it is. That's <laughs> 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 the way the story speaks to me. But each each song on the record is 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 a, is a sort of a mar- mile marker on my journey to to empowerment. And so what I'm hoping is that when people hear it, if a song speaks to them, it will somehow translate into their life on their own personal journey um, towards empowerment. Cool, cool stuff. Now, I'm going to ask this again, but uh, this is a good point for me to ask this now. Exactly how do people pick up a copy of Time Manipulator? Absolutely. Um, It is available on iTunes. Uh, It's available on Amazon. Uh, You can also stream it on Spotify. And in the next couple of weeks, if if people want a hard copy it will be available on my website and that is blakemciverofficial.com all righty all righty blake well this is a good time for us to take our second break of the day we're going to have a quick commercial and when we come back i'm going to talk about the very interesting thing that you did to actually get this uh, album record actually into being stay tuned we'll be right back Chants were whining around some demon's ears My body used, my spirit bruised Now I'm taking back my tears Hear me scream at the opera Hello, 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 and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am so, so lucky to be spending time today with Blake McIver. You guys know him from Full House and Little Rascals. He is very, very much the grown man today, and uh, we just heard a little snippet from uh, the track Screaming at the Opera. That's from his album, record, CD, Time Manipulator. Um, now, Blake, you uh, you did something very, very interesting to finance the production of this album. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and, and, and discuss that. What, what, how did, how did this album come to be? Well, it was, it's been quite a journey actually, uh, <laughs> to get, to get this album finished. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been about a two year process all in all from like the day that I sat down and started writing a lot of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, to the actual physical copies <laughs> of the record, um, but yeah, no, it, it was. Uh, I, I was working as a um, voice coach, and I was I was teaching other people how to sing and uh, coaching other people for auditions and for college auditions, and uh, it 
the work just sort of got slower and slower and slower and fewer and fewer students. Um, you know, when, when financial times hit hard, uh, the first thing to go is art. And the first mm-hmm. thing to go is lessons and people, you know, it, it makes sense, but it's also a tragedy because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, to me, these are the most important things to keep our culture alive. And sure. they're the first, you know, sort of things that get disposed of. Mm-hmm. Um, when when people when you know people get in financial strain, um, so I I was found myself in a, in a bit of a, a, a hardship situation. I was like, uh oh, this is this is not going to work, and I do not have the money right now to produce this album and to get it made. And yet I knew that I wanted um, my message out there, and I needed to get it out there. And so I had to make some quick money. Um, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> I was hanging out with my friends and we were out at a bar and uh, it what started as a joke of like, well, you know, if you wanted to make quick money, get up there on that box and <laughs> start dancing. <Well>, oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I could never. And uh, about a month later, I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just out of and curiosity. So, yeah, I, worked as a, I worked as a go-go dancer for about mm, eight months uh collecting money <laughs> to finance this album. Oh, wow. So it took eight months to um, get the money together. So you were a go-go dancer at clubs. Now, how does this happen? You know, do you go to Craigslist and, you know, you look for postings or, I mean, how do you how do you get employment there? Um, I had a friend that was a promoter, so I just sort of, I, I, didn't, ha- I didn't have to really go through, uh, you know, much of a process. Um, mm mm-hmm. I just I I told my promoter friend, hey, I, I think I could do this. Can I just come audition? And that was that was about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Now you have spent your uh, previous to this, you have spent your entertainment career, even though you were a child, you know, with your clothes on. How was it emotion? <laughs> how was it emotionally for you to, at this point in your life, be in the entertainment industry with your clothes off? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is that. Um, you know the the unexpected thing about my little my little temporary side career um, <laughs> was that I, I had no idea how sort of freeing and empowering it was going to be. Um, it was it, in a way it was sort of my public declaration of you know I'm here I'm an adult now I'm making my own decisions um, and you know you, you sort of uh, there, there you ha- you have to accept the fact that I am okay with myself and that mm-hmm. that was an important moment for me and I didn't even see it coming I just I thought I'm just doing what I have to do and just making ends meet and making it work and then the the amazing byproduct of that was like oh wow I'm actually this is in the most literal sense I am comfortable in my own skin Um, and it took me many years to get to that point okay okay now just this whole story you know of where you had to go to to get the finances to um, do your your project here it creates um, a question that a lot of us outsiders have when it comes to the entertainment industry, because you would think that an individual such as yourself with such a large resume, um, you wouldn't have to use those options to get funding for your record. Um, you know, you have years and years of connections within the industry, um, resources, resources that we hope you could use. Why is it that you had to take this path? Well, you know, as far as just from a financial standpoint, it was like that, that 
kid actor money went right into my right into my college. My parents were very smart about like <laughs> put that money in a trust fund and like that's that's what paid for college. Okay, um, which was great, and that's you know what afforded me the, the ability to have uh, that education. Um, and then you know the, as far as the industry connections, um, it, it, I had reached a point after college where I had started trying to audition again. I started trying to get right back into it, pick up where I left off. And it was sort of like the very first question every agent and casting director asked me is like, well, why did you, why did you go to school? Where have you been? Like you're, you're mm. not relevant anymore. What, uh-huh. why, why should we, why should we take another look? Like what, what you, you walked away. Like what are we supposed to do with you now? And oh. so it was very difficult. It was, it was really, you know, there, there weren't, there just weren't opportunities. And even some of my former agents and managers that were working so hard to get me back into, you know, in, into the mainstream and back into the spotlight, they were having the hardest time getting the, you know, it was just no, no one cared at that point. Um, wow. Which is Hollywood is very unforgiving. It, well, it can be. It, it absolutely can be. And it's all, you know, it's, it's a trend-based market. So, mm-hmm. you know, when at that age, at whatever, 23, 24, I was not particularly on trend at that moment. So, <laughs> you know, it was, I didn't take it personally, but what it did, make me do is look inside and go, oh, no, I actually have a story to tell and I actually have my own art to make. Um, so it was a blessing in disguise because then it forced me to really focus on my writing and really get uh, the the music uh, back. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. You know, I guess, you know, the the benefit of all of that is, you know, it did make Blake a bigger, better person for all of this. Now, we, we've had to do the go-go dancing for eight months to get the funds together to produce the album. And, uh, you know, big hooray, now it's out. Um, there's a lot of stuff involved with album production. Now you have videos to make uh, as well for that. Is uh, So how long was the whole process, I guess I want to ask, for, you know, the concept to we actually have the tracks? And now I do see that you have some, some videos out there for the individual to watch as well. How long is that whole yes. process? That whole process was about uh, 10 months uh, with the production of the album and orchestrating it, getting it recorded, doing the videos and getting it getting it out. That was, yeah. Almost okay. here. <laughs> okay, okay. And so moving forward direction, we have the album, we have the videos out. Are we going to see Blake uh, traveling the world on a tour doing? Um, that, well, that is what we are working on right now is booking uh, booking shows all over. Uh, so we're just sort of trying to finalize that list for the end of the summer and into the fall. Um, I had to sort of put off the... Um, the immediate tour uh, schedule, uh, which was en- ended up being an- another blessing in disguise, I'm on this um, really fun reality show on Bravo right now um, called The People's Couch, and we we had just gotten extended a few weeks ago, so I had still filming through July, and then I can focus on uh, going back to getting the music out um, and actually reaching the fans uh, personally. Well, congratulations on the extension. Um, and the people's couch was another thing that I wanted to talk about today. So now that we're here, um, now that's on Bravo. Now, exactly what is that show about? Okay, this is going to sound crazy. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's a TV show about people watching TV shows. Uh, sounds like the end of the world. It sounds like the end of entertainment. And when they pitched it to me, I was like, we have really reached the bottom. Like, this is, <laughs> it's, it's really over now. But what's funny is that it, it, 
it ends up being, when we watched the first episode back, I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually brilliant. Um, because the sort of conversations that the show starts, um, and what you realize is there's six different, six or seven different groups on the show watching TV, and everybody identifies with somebody on the cast mm-hmm. and has said or has thought the same thing that we're saying reacting to these TV shows. Um, cause we watch a lot of buzzworthy, a lot of, you know, the high, the high tweet, <laughs> worthy, mm-hmm. um, sort of TV moments. And it's this amazing sort of sociological experiment. <laughs> oh, okay. So for instance, you, you're sitting there in the, uh, on the couch with your friends and you guys might, for instance, be watching, you know, dancing with the stars and, you know, Blake is like, oh, you know, he sucks. And, you know, your friend might be, I don't know why the judges picked them. So it's that kind of, Ambiance? It is. It's yes. It's that kind of interactive. We're basically doing what everybody at home does, um, and then it's just they edit it together so brilliantly and make these amazing segments um, where you get you really get an insight into what America is thinking about various things that are on TV. Wow, that's a very interesting concept. And like you said, at first blush it's like oh my gosh nobody's gonna buy that but but like you know now that you think about it you know everybody wants to watch something that they can relate to and that is so us sitting in our our living rooms be it with my friends or my family you know and the back and forth dialogue about you know something that we're watching so that's a brilliant brilliant concept it really is and it it turned out being amazing and and now that now that we've been extended and now that we're doing hour-long episodes instead of half hours you know, we're getting to we're getting into some more dramatic pieces. We're get, we watched um, last week on the show. We watched The Normal Heart. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people that didn't even weren't even aware of it um, were messaging us on Facebook, tweeting us about it, being like they were so moved by and went back and actually watched the full movie because they saw us reacting to it. So we were able to start a whole conversation uh, just about something that's so important to us as as, as a gay community, like out of this reality show. It was amazing. It was really, wow. I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is really starting important dialogue. Very impressive. So how long have you been on the show now? Well, we're about to finish uh, filming our first season. Uh, we did a, a little mini run back in October, and then we started up again in March. Um, and so we will be through uh, the middle of July. Uh, we're still taping, and then we're just waiting to see if the, if the response uh, continues so that we can uh, do a second season. Oh, and how does it feel to be back in front of the camera again? It's fun, and it, I, it's funny because I never thought that reality TV could be <laughs> so much fun because it was the one genre that I knew, knew absolutely nothing about. Uh-huh. Um, but it's great. I get to sit on the couch with my two best <laughs> friends that I would have already been watching TV with anyway. There's just cameras in the room. Oh, too cool, too cool. <laughs> okay, so... um we are going to take our last break of the day. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Blake moving forward and some other things. So everybody stay tuned. We're going to have a wonderful closing here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today I am with Blake McIver. He's got a new album out called The Time Manipulator. And he's also, uh, we remember him from Little Rascals and Full House. Uh, before the break, we were talking about this wonderful new show that he is on, on Bravo's channel called The People's Couch. And um, 
you know, I was I was looking at some of the clips of the show, and you're very, very grown up now, very handsome young man you've grown into. I'm just curious, uh, when people, you know, run into you, and, you know, they're looking at you, and it finally clicks, like, oh, that's the kid from Full House. I mean, what what is, what is, I mean, because you're, you know, you're very grown now, so what is the... Um, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> First of all, thank you for that. Um, and... <laughs> You know, it's funny because it, it, it depends on, it, now it really depends on what the age group is, what, what generation, uh, as far as recognition. Um, you know, funny enough, Full House has stayed in syndication throughout my lifetime. Um, so it's funny because I find that like little kids will sometimes look at me like, I think I know you, but you look weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, people my age that grew up with Full House, uh, you know, are, are, are the ones that are most likely to, to remember. But then now there's a whole nother group of people that I get recognized by that didn't know anything about my young career that just recognized me from the People's Couch, which is funny. Wow, wow. And, you know, with all these shows that are in syndication now, you know, you hear like the, the Cosby reunion and all of that stuff. What, is there any ever any talk of reunions or anything like that? There's always, there seems to always be an internet buzz about a Full House reunion. I have not heard anything <laughs> specific about that, um, that I can actually say, yes, there's anything official happening. Um, I would love it if there was. I think it would be amazing, and I think that the fans would just go nuts if there was a, some sort of TV Full House reunion. Um, mm-hmm. But this year is actually, funny enough, the 20th anniversary of Little Rascals, and mm-hmm. so we've all sort of banded together uh, in a Facebook group and and the the Rascals cast is trying to get together this summer to do um to do a little reunion for when the movie came out. Oh, that would be nice. That would be nice. And you know, um more bragging about Blake here. You're kind of a triple threat. Not only do you act and sing, but you do dance as well because I think I've heard that one of your aspirations is to be on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> yes. It was <laughs> it was funny because um I was doing an interview a couple weeks ago and um the person who was interviewing me was like, "Well, now that, you know, now that you're on reality TV, like you you would seem to be a natural for dancing with stars." And I was like, "Oh, oh my god. I never <laughs> thought about it like that." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, you're right. This is maybe a potential goal." Yes, I want to be on dancing with the stars. There you go. There you go. It starts with and a thought. And then she tweeted about it and then it started a whole thing and I was like, "Okay, well, whatever. If they call, I'm it's the answer is yes, absolutely." There you go. You have a partner in mind you want to dance with? Well, I my gosh, the dancers on that show the, the professional dancers have become more celebrities to me than most of the <laughs> quote-unquote stars that they have on the show because I'm just such a fan of dance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the early seasons, my favorite uh, dancer was Edita. She's not on the show anymore. Um, but I think if I had to pick from the current season, I think I'd have to pick Cheryl because she wins so much. He says, and I want to win. <laughs> I want to win. I want the, if I'm going to be on it, I want that mirror ball. <laughs> <laughs> I truly understand. So you you started dancing at a young age, though, right? I did. Yeah, my mom put me in dance at like four years old. So you do all all flavors, the ballroom to the salsa and everything. I, 
funny enough, I, ballroom is what I've done the least of, which is why it would be funny <laughs> to be on that show. Um, yeah, no, I started, I started with a ballet training and then I did like a little bit of tap and a little bit of jazz. And then I, you know, when, when the singing stuff and the acting stuff sort of took over, I had to walk away from dance for quite a few years. Um, but dabbled in it a little bit more in college and then, you know, my club dancing life is <laughs> <laughs> sort of style. <laughs> so, you know, we did we did talk about the go-go dancing. So, would it be something that you would explore again in life if if it came to it? Well, uh, I you know I think that I think that chapter is pretty much closed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. In my life, my focus is getting the music is getting the music out, and that's really even when, when I was doing it. That was it, there was a goal, and there was an there was an end game there. Um, I was doing it so that I could afford the ability to uh, get my art uh, out to the public. Okay, okay. So. You know, like I keep saying, Blake is now grown into a, a very nice young man. You know, you've got your album out there. You're on the people's couch. Um, we know that you would it'd be an ultimate goal for you to be on Dancing with the Stars. What more passions does Blake see in his future? Well, I've actually already started uh, writing the second album, Um I didn't let any grass grow under my feet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah. So, I, so there's there's definitely a plan uh, for for a second record. Um, working on working on writing the music for it right now. Um, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in. Um, I've got a lot of family in the South, and I spent a lot of time in Memphis and a lot of time in uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi. Um, I'm I'm super inspired by blues and uh, soul music. So I'm the, the second album is going to be all all blues and soul. Um, okay. And so that's that's what I'm working on right now. Oh, okay. You know, and that I forgot to mention one thing. You know, when it comes to your music background, you have been very, very fortunate to work with some very uh, big name people. Can you give us some names and how all of that came about? Yes, um, I I worked well after you know after doing uh, some session singing and uh, voiceover work. I started working uh, as a as a background singer uh, for various things. Um, I did. I did a lot of stuff uh, for Disney and in background singing. I also did uh, choral work on Anastasia and uh, Apollo 13 and movies like that. And that led me into uh, working with some really incredible artists. Um, I got to sing background on Natalie Cole's album. I got mm. to see, uh, I did uh, one track for Michael Jackson. I did like there was a lot of I, I worked with David Foster a bit, and it was an amazing thing that just sort of happened out of uh, film and TV singing work. Um, and it was brilliant. I, I got to I got to learn so much uh, just being in the studio watching incredible artists do what they do best. It was an amazing education. Wow! And with some of your core being, like you said, from the South and the blues and anything, do you have any um, artists in particular that you could see yourself working with in that genre? Well, I, I mean, I always say that my my favorite. The, I'm I'm so inspired by like singer songwriters. Um, Really, uh, my, my favorite music is, is from the 60s and 70s. Um, so, like, I sort of, in my, in my head, the, the career that I've patterned myself after is like a Carole King because I want to write for other people as mm. well as myself. Um, and I, it was funny because I was just having this conversation the other day. There's the only person that I feel like in mainstream music right now that is of that caliber, of that, like, true singer-songwriter, uh, meaningful music that is, is in that style would be Alicia Keys. 
And oh. if I could ever work with her, that would be like the ultimate. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so we're going to have to go ahead and put a couple calls out there to Alicia Keys people because, you know, now we want Blake to work with her. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the stuff, especially where your head is at, what you're expressing musically, for you to be such a young person and you like stuff definitely generations before you, where do you think that comes from? I, you know what? I really don't know. Um, it, <laughs> it's, it's something that has always been uh, a, a passion of mine. I, you know, it's funny. The the older the music, the more inspiring it is to me. Um, yeah, I just I it's it's always been a, a part of my sort of musical journey. I, I started listening to, um, you know, I've been listening to like Motown records since I was a little kid, and that's always been what has spoken to me. Um, Stevie Wonder, Rita Franklin. <laughs> that's like, that's my that's my favorite music. Definitely, definitely music that touches the soul. Definitely, I can I can I can relate to that as well. <laughs> so um, let's see here. Before we get out of here, I want to make sure everybody knows once again um, where can people pick up a copy of Time Manipulator. Tell us one more time. Yes, you can get uh, the Time Manipulator on iTunes. Um, you can get it on Amazon, pretty much anywhere where you download uh, digital music. Uh, you can also stream the album on Spotify. And um, you can get a hard copy in the next uh, couple weeks at uh, my website, and that is BlakeMcIverOfficial.com. Okay. And as far as the People's Couch, um, that is a um, – tell us how that works. Is that once a week or – Yes, it's, it's once a week. The People's Couch is Tuesdays at uh, 10 p.m., uh, 9 Central on Bravo. And um, you can also uh, live tweet with us <laughs> during the episode, which is, is very fun. Um, okay. You can find me on Twitter at Blake McIver. Okay. Now, uh, real quick, the People's Couch, do, does the audience have the option to kind of tweet you or, you know, connect with you and say, I want you guys to watch this show and have a show about it or dialogue? Uh, can the audience have input on what you watch? Absolutely. Um, and we have gotten a lot of great ideas funny enough, from the fans that have uh, actually ended up on the show. People have tweeted us, you need to watch this, you need to watch that. And okay. uh, yeah, no, the, the, the staff of the show does take that into consideration. So, so our live tweeting has, be, has become very much a part of the interactive experience of the show, which is great. Okay, okay. And one last thing, Alicia Keys, you need to call Blake's people because you guys need to collaborate. So we're putting that energy out there, and we expect to see that in the near future. Um, my guest today has been Blake McIver, and he's been such a beautiful pleasure. You can find him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Visit his website, BlakeMcIverOfficial.com. And don't forget to check out his music that is available, like he said, on Amazon, iTunes, and more places. And also, please make sure to take a minute to watch The People's Choice. It seems like a very wonderful show. Blake, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. See you all next week.